This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Los Angeles, California, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And keeping it dad to the bone over on his fall break, it's the coach, Coy Burton. Well, you know it's definitely dad to the bone. Uh, we got a live studio audience. That's Huck. Uh, you can hear him in the background. He is, he is doing his best impression of Shaq right now, and he's jamming on his little play goal and bringing the house down. So, uh, if you hear him doing his impression of Shaq, don't don't worry. The house isn't falling down. He's just pulling the rim down and 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 pulling the goal over. So, well, I know uh, I know he definitely gets that from his pops. Yes. Well, finally, it's the third amigo in the second city, a man who has a quite discerning taste in grocery stores. It's Walker <laughs> from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Yeah, I was, uh, I was texting you last night and got excited. There's a new Mariano's in my neighborhood. They have these awesome hamburger patties. Chicago listeners, always go to Mariano's. Don't go to Jewel Osco. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I would have to agree with that one in the limited amount of time I've spent in uh, Chicagoland grocery chains. But <laughs> we've, got, uh, we've got some real good games this weekend as well as some other under-the-radar stuff that we want to uh, get on top of. So let's start it off with some quick slants. Uh, Josh, you're up first. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, touch base with the coaches uh, that I think are on some some thin ice right now. Obviously, we're not advocating any of these people get fired. We all know how difficult it is to coach, but it's just a fact of life. And so I have one from uh, from each conference. Obviously, Tommy Tuberville at Cincinnati, we like their roster coming in this year. They're 0-3 in conference, 3-3 and overall. They've got the bye week. Hopefully, they sort some things out because we all like the Tubs. Uh, in the ACC... Matt, your boys at uh, BC, they're struggling for Steve Adazio. They're 0-3 in conference as well, 3-3 on the season. 24 points scored, 122 allowed. That's not a good recipe for success. Uh, Big 12 is pretty obvious with Charlie Strong, but I want to give a shout-out to David Beatty. Kansas has looked a lot better the last few weeks, and you know one of the reasons why they had to settle for Beatty, who has no coaching experience, is they fired Turner Gittle after two years, and they fired... Uh, Charlie Weiss after three years and a couple games, that makes the job difficult. You don't want to coach in that environment, even if you're a good coach. So I would hang on to Beatty for four or five years, kind of get some of that equity back. Uh, over in the Big Ten, it's obvious that's still Daryl Hazel. Uh, James Franklin also has got a hot seat. Both teams are over 500, but they haven't really beaten anyone. That needs to change. Uh, Conference USA is kind of a mess where uh, both Charlie – Partridge at Florida Atlantic and uh, Sean 
Kugler at UTEP. They're both one and five right now. Uh, I want to defend David Bailiff, though. I know some Rice fans might be getting a little impatient, but just a reminder, he's got two 10-win seasons and a conference championship, three and one in bowl games, and Rice is not an easy place to win. I would let him try and get out of this funk that they're in this year right now. Uh, over in the independence, uh, Mark, uh, or uh, not Mark, uh, Mark Whipple. Yeah, that's, I had the other wrong, had the wrong Mark up for a second. But uh, Mark Whipple at Massachusetts, not doing as well in his first run. Has the national title, though, when they're an FCS school, so maybe they want to keep him. I don't know. It, it's tough to navigate being an independent. Uh, the MAC has both Lance Leopold at Buffalo and uh, Chuck Martin at Miami struggling right now. But they won so many games in lower divisions that, again, I would be a little patient with them. Uh, Mountain West is Tim DeRuiter at Fresno State. We had him on the hottest seat in the conference coming into this year. They've done nothing. They're 1-5, and 0-2 oh in league. Uh, Pac-12, Mark Helfrich and Rich Rodriguez, uh, both really, really struggling. And for Rich Rodriguez, dating back to his Michigan days, he's now 23-39 and 39 in conference games as a part of a Power 5 conference. Uh, maybe just he's feasted on lesser competition at West Virginia. It's looking more and more like that. Uh, SEC, pretty obvious. Uh, Derek Mason right there in your backyard coach. He's got the hottest seat in that league. And to round things off, uh, the disappointing one for me, because I like him, that's Mark Hutzpeth over at uh, the Louisiana Lafayette. They had that 22 wins vacated. Uh, he was exonerated, but still, but it buck stops with the coach. And he lost his offense coordinator, who was a big part of their success to Minnesota. Their offense has been in a funk this year. Uh, I think he's still a really, really good X's and O's coach, but it just might be a time for a change of scenery, maybe for both him and the program. Something's just gotten stale in that. But those are the coaches uh, to be on the lookout for the coaching carousel here in a few uh, few months when we have Black Monday. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Coach, uh, you've got a game for us to look at in the SEC East. Well, yes, it is, uh, it's the uh, Gators and the Missouri Tigers. It's, a, it's an intriguing matchup because of what possibly Missouri can do uh, and what Florida has in front of them at stake. Uh, Florida's still very much in the SEC East race. Uh, as of right now, they only have one loss, um, and that's pending them being able to reschedule the uh, reschedule the Florida or reschedule the LSU game, I should say. Uh, Missouri coming in, they're zero two in conference, looking for their first win. But uh, I've been pretty impressed with Drew Locke and uh, in, in seeing him, especially against uh, when I saw him in a full game against Georgia. Uh, I know he's just a, a young kid, but I mean he's uh, he looks pretty solid, and and this team, you know, as they grow as they progress through the season under new coach Barry Odom, this team is a team that could grow into, you know, a a dangerous team that you don't want to play late in the season. You know, fortunately for Georgia, they got them early and were able to, uh, you know, capitalize on a bunch of mistakes. But, you know, as soon as Missouri figures this thing out, they can, uh, you know, they can, they can do it. But for Florida, you know, they've just got to, you know, they've got to get Del Rio um, back in the mix. He's supposed to be, uh, coming back for the Gators um, off of injury. Uh, you have Jordan Scarlett at running back. He's your leading rusher. Um, everything's going to have to kind of go through him. Uh, defensively, uh, you know, 
I think it's going to be one of those things where, you know, Florida is going to have to kind of contend with the hurry up, no huddle spread. Uh, that's kind of what everybody's doing at this point. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be up to if they can if they can dictate the pace of the game. Uh, you know, with if they can get after if they can get after uh, Drew Locke and if they can you know create some you know create put some pressure on Drew Locke and force him into some bad throws. Um, that's what Georgia did did well on, and anybody that beats them, that's kind of what they do. They force Drew Locke into making mistakes by getting in his face and and, and making him hurry and throw. So, um, also another name to look for for the Gators is receiver Jamon Moore. He has 27 catches on the year for 450 yards. Um, he also has six touchdowns to add to that, which leads the SEC and is actually tied for ninth in all of FBS. So. Um, they do have a, the Gators do have a few weapons. It's just a matter of can they all get on the same page? Can they all, you know, be disciplined enough to kind of take advantage of that stuff? Florida has hasn't quite been that way. Um, they 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 typically this year started out strong and and kind of faltered through the finish um, as seen in the Tennessee game, and then sometimes they just come out flat altogether. So um, it will be a home game for the Gators, which is a, which is another plus. Um, so we'll see if this if this uh, week off uh, and the distractions from all the Hurricane Matthew stuff will, will play in effect. I still like the Gators to win this game, but it'll be closer than uh, than you probably w- would think of. All right, Coach. Well, I okay. Josh, go ahead. Yeah, Coach. I noticed that Huck sort of laughed when you said Florida had just one loss. It's like he's already made his pick for the cocktail party. Yeah, he has. He's. Uh, I think he knows exactly what uh, what Georgia's going to do to Florida. <laughs> I like to hear that. I like to hear that. Well, um, for my first slant, I'm uh, heading to two games over in the Big 12. And the first of these features two of the best passing attacks, uh, actually in the country, when we- the West Virginia Mountaineers head to Lubbock uh, to take on Texas Tech. Uh, obviously, Texas Tech's Pat Mahomes is one of the leading pastors in the entire country. But we shouldn't really discount West Virginia as they are probably uh, one of the quietest undefeated teams from any power five uh from any power five conference right now and um you know their so their season is really off to a night start uh but what really impressed me about this team is that they've got a nice balance on offense uh coach dana holgerson is definitely known for airing it out especially when he was the offensive coordinator uh, under bob stutes at oklahoma but he seems to have really sort of uh embraced a little bit more of a rushing attack at this point and it's just uh harder for defenses to key in on quarterback uh, Skylar Howard is they have to be prepared for both the run and the pass. Obviously, Texas Tech has had some trouble stopping teams, um, um, you know, both in the air and over the ground over the past few years. But, uh, you know, so for that, you know, for that reason, I'm really expecting this to be a high-scoring game. The over-under is 83, and I expect that to be surpassed in the third quarter. I'm thinking a winning score is going to be something like 52 to 45 in this one. So it's going to be a little fun out there in West Texas. So you know things can get kind of frisky out there, especially when you're under the lights. 
Um, elsewhere in the Big 12, I'm looking at the Kansas State versus Oklahoma matchup. Oklahoma's obviously coming off a win in the Red River shootout, um, uh, uh, you know, 45 to 40 over Texas. But that score, really, as we talked about in the pod earlier this week, that score didn't really demonstrate how much Oklahoma Oklahoma dominated that game, especially on the ground with Samaje P. Ryan, who had over 200 yards and two touchdowns, as well as uh, Baker Mayfield had himself a nice game both through the air and on the ground. Um, but you can never overstate uh, how tough an opponent uh, a Bill Snyder coach team is. Uh, they've had a couple good wins so far this year. They lost to Stanford in the opening weekend, but since then their offense started to get back on track. And, uh, you know, the worry for K-State here is just slowing down an Oklahoma attack that's starting to get rolling. Um, you know, Oklahoma's missing Sterling Shepard, uh, who's in his first year of the pros with the Giants. But you, Baker Mayfield really seems to be spreading the ball around nicely uh, to both his receivers and his backs, um, including P. Ryan and Joe Mixon. So, um, you know, both underneath and working the deep ball as well. So uh, this one definitely won't be as high scoring as the uh, West Virginia-Texas Tech matchup, but you can still expect to score, you know, well into the 30s or 40s here. And uh, I'm definitely going to have my eye on both of those games on Saturday. So, uh, Josh, off to you for your second slam. Yeah, so uh, you just listed two good games. Well, I've got, uh, believe it or not, seven that I want to touch on just real quickly. Uh, There are seven games between ranked FCS members. So if you are near one of these schools, go to these games because these are going to be some barn burners. Uh, Leading off, North Dakota State, number one in the country, hosts the 14th-ranked South Dakota State Jackrabbits. Uh, The third-ranked Chattanooga Mocs travel to the Citadel, who's ranked ninth in the country. Uh, James Madison, the sixth-ranked team, travels up to uh, sort of your neck of the woods, Burko. They are up at New Hampshire. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, the seventh-ranked Richmond Spiders host the 11th-ranked Villanova uh, Wildcats. So got that one going. And then uh, just outside... The top 10, the 12th-ranked Youngstown State Penguins host the 21st-ranked Northern Iowa Panthers. Is Bo Pelini still the coach at Youngstown State? He is indeed. Ooh. He is indeed. Um, yeah, Youngstown's coming off of a big uh, road win last week. Uh, so to I skipped over a couple of the top 10 teams, so just to kind of give a, a little bit of a roadmap of what's going on in the FCS. Uh, Sam Houston State, they are the second-ranked team. The fourth-ranked team is last year's runner-up, Jacksonville State. Eastern Washington, they play on that awesome red turf. They are the fifth-ranked team in the country. Charleston Southern is eighth. And then the powerhouse out west in the mountains, the Grizz of Montana, they're 10th-ranked. A couple other notables, just because uh, we've talked about them previously on the show. Uh, Matt did a great breakdown of the Ivy League race a few shows ago. Harvard is 15th in the country. North Carolina A&T, who has that awesome running attack led by Tariq Cohen, is 16th in the country. And then last but not least, uh, a Grambling State team that was just a juggernaut under Eddie Robinson, the Hall of Fame coach, kind of fell apart a little bit once he was gone. A couple years ago, they had that big story about players refusing to practice in a form of protest, rightfully so, because the facilities were incredibly dangerous and outdated. Uh, it looks like they've gotten through all that turmoil, 
they're three and one on the year and 23rd in the nation. So hats off to Grambling State for improving their football program. Good for them. Good for them. Uh, Coach, I know you're going to head up over to my neck of the woods, Pac-12, for your next preview. Yeah, it's it's weird that, that I would come to a Pac-12 game, but I've taken a lot more interest in the Pac-12 lately because, I don't know, I just kind of, I'm just kind of starting to like their brand of football. But um, here, here's a game that we looked at preseason as like a, a, a game that's going to be on the national landmark or national stage and the, the national landscape and and uh, a game that we were probably going to do in our deep roots uh, as we were, you know, thinking about this during our preseason previews and saying, okay, well, we're going to circle this game. This will be kind of like a battle for a playoff spot type game for, for these two teams. Now it's just a uh, battle to uh, not go completely in the tank here. Um, you have a three and two Stanford Cardinal team who's just gotten dominated the last two games. Uh, then you have Notre Dame who's two and four um, and they've, <clears throat> I don't know what's happened to them. They've kind of gone in the tank as well. Um, I don't know who's worse at this point. Uh, Talent-wise, they're way too good to be this bad. But mentally, I think these are the two most fragile teams in the country. So uh, one, of the, one of these teams is going to gain a little bit of confidence, and the other one's going to fall completely apart um, and probably not even go bowling. So um, <clears throat> when you look at the matchup, um, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty much 50-50 here. Uh, you know, as, as I look at everything, you know, when I start to think Stanford's going to win, you know, you, you look at what they, how they match up with Notre Dame and then you, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's crazy. So let's break down their offensive statistics here. Uh, Stanford, who's been relatively one dimensional and they've been, they've been exposed for the most part. Uh, they come in averaging 307 yards per game, uh, scoring 19.4 points per game. Uh, that's leading to about 4.1 uh, yards per carry. Uh, their average pass is 6.8. Um, and then their third down conversion rate is 41 and a half. Uh, for Notre Dame, they come in averaging 40, 431.7 yards a game. Uh, they're worse on third downs. Uh, they're a lot better in points per game. Um, <clears throat> they're a little bit worse in rush uh, yards per carry. That's three at 3.9. Uh, and then yards per pass attempt, they're they're not much better, uh, so they're kind of in the same same category. Both teams have been struggling mightily. Um, I'm going to go with <clears throat> I'm going to go with Stanford here because they're they're the more physical team in this matchup. I think they I think Notre Dame is is a team that they can come and muscle out um, versus the last two opponents, um, which uh, Washington State played a lot more physical than I thought they would. Um, and they bullied Stanford around more than I thought they would. I don't think Notre, I don't think Notre Dame has that in them. I think right now, if Washington State lined up against Notre Dame, they'd beat them. Um, but uh, you know, I, I just Notre Dame is spiraling downhill. I think it. I think we're starting to kind of see the end of the road for Brian Kelly. I have a hard time believing. And that sound you heard is uh, Notre Dame. If they lose this game, they go crashing down um, and and and. <laughs> Um, give me the Cardinal. I think, uh, I think Christian McCaffrey is going to have a bounce-back game. I think the Cardinal is going to have a bounce-back game. I don't think they win big, but I don't think it's uh, – I think it's a two-score game. Uh, I'm going to say Stanford by 10 uh, in this matchup. 
All right. Well, uh, I'm actually taking two of Stanford's last three opponents for my second quick slam uh, to look at an interdivisional matchup in the Pac-12 where the UCLA Bruins head up to the Palouse to take on Wazoo. This matchup is going to feature two of the league's top passers and Bruins sophomore Josh Rosen and Wazoo's Luke Falk. Both of these guys are in the top 10 nationally in passing yards, but the real difference between the two of them is that uh, the senior for the Cougars has a 16-4 to touchdown-interception ratio, whereas Rosen is just 10-5. to um, And one of the big reasons for the discrepancy for between these two squads uh, in terms of this is – that the Bruins really don't have a top target on the outside that, uh, you know, Rosen can, you know, really depend on. Senior Kenneth Walker for the Bruins leads the team in most of the statistical categories, but there's a general feeling on campus that he's just, he happens to be the best of some less than stellar options rather than a true go-to receiver. This team could really use former four-star Cordell Brodius right now, but, you know, he quit before his freshman season even began uh, after signing with the Bruins on National Signing Day. So, you know, they could really use, uh, you know, explosive game-changer like that, but uh, Snoop Dogg's son decided he wanted to explore other options on campus. And, well, on such a beautiful campus, you can't blame him sometimes. However, the Cougars, on the other hand, have three quality targets for Luke Falk in Gabe Marks, Tavares Martin, and River Crackraft, who all have over 290 yards on the season each. Uh, UCLA. You can, you can be honest. You picked those three players just so you can read their name. On the uh, mostly just so I can read River Crackcraft, um, who is fast rising on my name power rankings throughout the country. Um, but UCLA, like I was saying, is really thin right now across the roster. And so there's a lot of freshmen and sophomores getting a ton of reps on both sides of the ball. And I really think that inexperience is going to show against the complex air raid attack led by the pirate himself, Mike Leach. So expect a lot of offense uh, on from this one on Saturday night. But the uh, the Cougars are seven and a half point favorites, and I think they win this one easily by you know two scores at least, maybe seventeen or twenty points. So, um, so we're going to move uh, from our quick slants to our weekly game of the week, and uh, we are headed to Bloomingfield. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, Bloomington, Indiana, Bloomingfield. I don't know where Bloomingfield is. <laughs> Indiana. It's a, it's a mix of Springfield and Bloomington. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, where our trap game pits a five and zero Nebraska team against a Hoosier team, who, although they lost last weekend to Ohio State, remain uh, a very dangerous team in the eyes of at least us, Josh. So, do you think that Indiana though is going to be able to stop Nebraska enough on defense to pull off the upset? Well, I do, and uh, I was. Please, when you sent out our rundown, you included this game because uh, I, I told you I had some goofy stats uh, about the game. So Indiana lost by 21 to Ohio State last week. So I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, okay, it's business as usual. Indiana has no defense. That's actually not the case. Uh, their defense held Ohio State to 5 of 14 on third down, held them to 93 passing yards, forced six punts, and had two takeaways. What happened was uh, Indiana's offense had two terrible, terrible gaffes. Uh, one of their turnovers resulted in a six-yard drive for Ohio State. They had a fumble at their six-yard line. Easy touchdown for the Buckeyes. And then the other was a uh, special teams gaff. There's a 91-yard uh, kick return uh, that set up a nine-yard drive. So the special teams and the offense 
uh, basically gifted Ohio State two touchdowns. So in reality, the Indiana defense is only responsible for 24 of those 38 points. And when you see how Ohio State's been racking up scores, 24 is pretty good. So the, the Hoosier defense has been frisky. The Hoosier offense hasn't been quite as good as last year, but it is still one of the more efficient outfits in the uh, in the Big Ten. Nebraska's going to have their hands full. This is a great trap game. Coach, you got some thoughts here in Nebraska? Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you look at their roster and, and you see these these uh, these weapons on offense. You have uh, Seathen Carter, tight end, wide receiver, Jordan Westerkamp. All right. They're both doubtful. Uh, Tommy Armstrong, your leader, your emotional leader, your 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 guy that makes this thing go. Uh, the reason the large reason why they're tenth uh, in the country in five and zero, oh, he just came out of a walking boot. So, uh, you know, when 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 you want to think of a perfectly timed bye week, here you go. Um, but uh, so it, there's a lot of question marks that are in the air as far as how effective can Tommy Armstrong be um, is the thing that concerns me. Um, Indiana is already a tough team to play, but when you're, you know, when you're on, you know, when, when you have a, when you have a bad ankle and when you're dealing with ankle injuries, uh, you know, those things don't ever heal um, as fast as they should. Even, even though he's out of a walking boot, he won't be a hundred percent. He'll probably at best be 85%, 80, 85%, which means, you know, you get late in the game. If, uh, if defense hasn't carried you and you haven't gotten a few, uh, touchdowns and, and separate yourself, Indiana's going to have a good chance because they're going to come after him. Uh, and their game plan should be to come after him because he's going to be limited. And if, if Carter and Westerkamp can play, uh, you know, they're, they're doubtful with elbow and back injuries. Even if they play, they're not going to be, you know, they're going to be far from 100% as well, and they're not going to be as effective as they were uh, before they got injured. So um, with Nebraska being so beat up, this becomes a lot closer of a game. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think in the end it's going to come close, but I think Nebraska is going to pull this one out. Uh, I, I think, I think it's going to be a one score game, uh, and it's going to be a tight one pretty much the whole way, but I think Nebraska is going to find a way to win. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a tight one. I'm, 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 I'm thinking that the upset's going to happen. You mentioned Westerkamp's injury and Armstrong and Westerkamp have a, you know, a really strong connection as far as quarterback-receiver tandems go. You know, that's, that is Armstrong's go-to guy. He always seems to be able to get open. And with him doubtful, and I don't think he's going to play, quite frankly, that's going to make, uh, you know, that's going to make Armstrong's life a little bit more difficult. And you mentioned he's coming out of that walking boot. So, you know, they're going to uh, – Nebraska's staff under uh, Coach Riley is really going to have to scheme it up a little bit differently than they're used to, I would imagine, dealing with all of these injuries. So it's going to be important for Nebraska to establish a line of scrimmage um, with their offensive line. I think that, you know, Indiana's defense uh, is a little thin on the D-line. So they're going to, you know – Nebraska can establish a consistent line of scrimmage and run the ball effectively. I think they're going to be okay. But um, as far as, you know, offense goes for Indiana, uh, just get the ball in the hands of Divine Redding. That guy, you know, whether he's catching balls out of the backfield or rushing, he seems every time he touches the ball, I feel like he can take it. He can, he can break a big one. So, um, well, uh, let's move on then to our deep routes for the week. And the first of these uh, is, uh, you know, it's the third Saturday in October, so you know what that means. Alabama versus Tennessee. 
Uh, Tennessee obviously coming off a very emotional couple of weeks that culminated with a loss at Texas A&M this past week. So, uh, Coach, do you think that um, Tennessee is going to be hung over from that and get whipped up on by Alabama? Well, I mean, they have a, they have so much going on behind the scenes um, that I have a hard time believing that they're not going to get completely ran out of the building this week. Uh, you have Jalen Hurd, who's been out um, with a lower extremity injury. Um, he, he requested that his injuries not be disclosed. That's a little bit of a red flag for me, maybe. And, and I've heard rumors that um, there could be a lawsuit forthcoming um, from Hurd uh, because of him playing with a concussion and Butch Jones allegedly knowing about it. Um, I've heard rumors at that about that um that and that's certainly all it is right now it's just rumors so um and even if it's 110 percent false it's still a distraction because people are still talking about it uh they had a wide receiver leave the program last night named preston williams uh nicknamed himself the resort um he left the team um you had the guy that got carried off on a stretcher Remember that one where he was, uh, where he got knocked out and they carried him off on a stretcher and they, you know, put him in the gurney and all that stuff and took his face mask off. And anyway, he got, as soon as he got released from the hospital, he got dismissed from the team. Um, and, uh, so there's been a lot of turmoil going on and, and this is becoming a dysfunctional bunch. Um, and then you kind of see how they struggle, um, at the start, they had seven turnovers against A&M, um, you know, Aside from just getting over and getting past all the distractions they've had the last couple of weeks, they're going to really have to clean things up turnover-wise or nothing else I talk about is really even going to matter because Alabama is just going to roll. And um, But for Alabama, Jalen Hurts is, is, is going to prov- uh, provide issues for for the Vols. Uh, Damian Harris, uh, you saw what Georgia did with their running game against Tennessee. I think Alabama is going to do something similar with Damian Harris. Uh, Josh Dobbs is going to have to kind of locate and find Minka Fitzpatrick at every snap and try to figure out where he is. Um, otherwise it's going to be, uh, otherwise it's going to be a, a, a long night for, uh, for Dobbs. Um, but uh, if you're an SEC East team, other than Tennessee, you're looking forward to this matchup because um, you know, if this thing plays out like everybody thinks it's going to, and you know, if Alabama is the kind of team that we all know that they are and the kind of team that they showed that they were against Arkansas, um, everybody's going to be let back into the race. And that Florida LSU game is going to be even more important. The world's largest outdoor cocktail party is going to be even more important because, you know, the SEC East is going to be back up for grabs again after Tennessee had worked so hard to, uh, to kind of distance themselves at the top. Now they're, now they're kind of coming back to the pack a little bit and uh, you're going to see teams that are going to, they're going to have a chance to, uh, to sit there in the end. So, um, I like Bama, and I think Bama's going to win big just because there's a lot going on. Uh, I think Bama's going to win by a couple of touchdowns here, um, if not more. But I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go on best case scenario or worst case scenario for uh, for the uh, for the tide. I'm going to say two touchdowns because I just think that you know between Jalen Hurts and Damian Harris, I think they're going to I think they're going to do more than enough to roll. I think defensively that front seven is going to shut down the run game with Alvin Kamara and Minka Fitzpatrick is going to is going to lock down one side of the one side of the field and it's going to turn, it's going to make a really short and narrow field for, uh, for Josh Dobbs to throw to. And I think 
you know, if Alabama can do that, they've pretty much got you, uh, got you, got you whipped. Yeah, and you know, I'm still waiting for the breakout game from Bo Scarborough. We heard so much about him coming in uh, before the preseason, but he really hasn't gotten going on the ground. Uh, Josh, you are the captain of the Tennessee bandwagon, so <laughs> what 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 can what can you tell them to give them hope? Oh, nothing, because they're going to get worked. Um, I guess you know, Neyland, it's a loud stadium. Maybe uh, maybe they feed off off the crowd. Maybe they'll, they'll do that checkerboard pattern again and look pretty on TV, but, um, you know, coach highlighted all their, uh, <laughs> their behind the scenes drama. So I guess I was just going to add a couple, um, X's and O's things that I, I sort of have picked up on. Uh, when you think of Alabama losses the last few years for their competitive games, um, you know, one that comes to mind is some of their battles with those really good LSU teams in 2012 and 2014, well, those LSU teams had tons and tons of defensive talent and were incredible on defense. Well, Tennessee's 64th in scoring defense, so they don't fit that mold. And then you sort of think about, well, how about those Ole Miss teams that had just incredible offense? You know, they throw for a ton of yards. They've got a reliable passing attack. They have some great wide receivers. They have a good throwing quarterback. And Dobbs is a nice quarterback but they're 62nd in pass because he's a dual threat guy and then you think about the Ohio State game well Ohio State had a big you know bruising speedster running back the the insane Ezekiel Elliott a few years ago in that semifinal game well coach just talked about all the controversy with Jalen Hurd we don't really know what the running game is going to be but it's certainly not as good as Zeke Elliott uh, it, it's just Tennessee doesn't fit in any of the molds of teams that have given Alabama fits. So what does Tennessee do other than get run out of the building? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I really don't know either. And I, if I'm a if I'm a Vol fan, I am definitely worried right now because, uh, like Coach mentioned, you know, the, the ship seems to be going down a little bit, and they need that volunteer Navy to start bailing them out. So, um, well, let's head to our next uh, deep root of the week, and that is uh, from my favorite conference, the American, where um, Tulsa is taking on Houston, and uh, – at a game that's going to be a home game for Houston, but they are obviously coming off of a, uh, a really tough loss last week in Annapolis. And Tulsa quietly four and one, one and zero oh in conference, and they've gotten um, you know you think of Tulsa as sort of an air raid team, but uh, D'Angelo Brewer, their junior tailback, is having himself a really nice year so far. He's got over seven hundred yards on the ground, averaging more than five yards a carry and four touchdowns. Uh, caught a couple of passes out of the backfield as well. And I've just, you know, this Tulsa team, I didn't expect a whole lot from them, but they are definitely impressing me right now. So, Josh, uh, what, what do you think are some of the keys to the game here? Well, I think that it's a little bit of some fool's gold right now with Tulsa. And let's applaud their 4-1 and one start. And they went to a bowl game last year, but – um, they crushed a terrible San Jose State team and then got blown out by Ohio State, and then they beat an FCS school. Their last two weeks, they've won by a touchdown at Fresno, who I just said is going to be firing their coach pretty soon. 
and they won by a field goal against SMU. They have the 94th-ranked scoring defense. Um, I love that they found some balance. Um, they still have a pretty good passing attack. Uh, but like you mentioned, Perko, their, their running game has certainly come around. And that's a credit to the staff for, for making some necessary changes in offense to get more balance. But the defense is not there to beat Houston, especially on the road. Um, and in terms of the Houston game, we, we sort of talked about this when we recapped the weekend. And I said that they still have an outside chance at the tournament. But I think the other thing to stress is Navy is – unbelievably underrated. People don't realize how good Yamata Lolo is as a coach. So there's that factor. There's a second factor of the option is a pain in the neck to game plan, game plan for in one week. And it also feasts on aggressive defenses. And that's what Houston has. So Houston is used to flying to the ball carrier, but in the option attack, that's exactly what they want because then they just pitch it out and have a wide-open running lane. Uh, the other reason why that game, you know, not that I'm making excuses for Houston, but I, I'm explaining why that game was so close, because I think a lot of people were surprised by it. But the other reason is Houston is the marquee team in this league. They are going to get everyone's A+. And if Houston has kind of a lackadaisical week of practice or a sloppy game or just isn't on edge, that's going to create a closer-than-expected game. And a really good team like Memphis or Navy, that closeness might allow them to, to pull off the upset. So, you know, Houston's still a really good team. They're going to bounce back from a tough loss. Uh, Tulsa is a nice story that they're improved, but that defense is not going to cut it against Greg Ward Jr., uh, Coach, what, what is one thing that you think Houston needs to work on offensively in order to make sure that they secure this win? Well, just be consistent. I mean, just do what they do. I mean, you know, they, uh, you know, everything runs through Greg Ward Jr., you know, and, and he does a good job typically of, of, of running that offense. I mean, they scored 40-something points against Navy, so it's not like their offense is completely broken down because they lost. You know, they – you know, Navy made a couple more plays than they did, and then that was the difference in the game. And, and a lot of that was attributed to a uh, a different style of team that they had the game plan for. And, you know, Navy does a good job of, of giving opposing defensive coordinators fits with the style of offense that they run. But, I mean, you know, just do what they do and, and be patient and don't, don't try to go and overhaul a bunch of stuff because you lost to Navy. And, uh, you know, if they just stick to their philosophies and – you know, stick to what they do and what they know they do best, uh, then then they'll be fine. And and what that is is a spread option running attack, and and then Greg Ward uh, going over the top in play action, and 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 really just going through the uh, passing attack. So if they can just do that and just do you know just do those few replays that they run well and get confidence early on, they'll be fine, and they'll probably win this game going away. Yeah, and I, I expect uh, a big game from their defensive tackle, Ed Oliver, against an inexperienced Tulsa line. Uh, he was really neutralized against Navy because of the option attack. They just weren't running, you know, a lot, a lot of fullback dive. They were going way outside more often. But uh, Ed Oliver is better as a pass rusher anyway, so I expect him to have a couple sacks in this game and a couple more tackles for a loss. We're going to head back over to the SEC for our next game, and, and that is – for our next deep route, I should say. And that is Ole Miss taking on Arkansas in a battle of the SEC West. 
West. Arkansas obviously coming off that loss to Alabama, but um, you know, so but we've got two teams here that are you know middle of the pack in the SEC West, but are both very dangerous. So, uh, Coach, uh, you know, who do you like here in this matchup, and why? Well, I mean, I really like Ole Miss here because uh, of what they can do to you. Uh, they're a lot. They remind me a lot of Texas A and M. Uh, they're the kind of the same style of team, same type of team where they can hit you quick and they can hit you often. Uh, Chad Kelly, uh, you know, they they uh, you know, there's some stuff going on with him. Uh, I, I guess you guys saw last week him uh, running onto the field during a brawl at his brother's game. Is he going to have any punishment from that? Is there any sort of fallout from that? Uh, I haven't seen anything. I, I think anything that he's doing is being handled in-house. Uh, as far as suspension goes, no, there, 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 won't be any, there won't be any sort of suspension for him. Um, but, uh, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's on the road, um, which, which concerns me a little bit. But I think Ole Miss is just one of those teams that they just get after you. Um, they attack you defensively. They attack you offensively. Uh, they're just a high octane type team, and they, you know, and, and that's just kind of what they do. And and Arkansas has proven that they can't handle those type of teams, even though we we like to think that they can. So, um, long story short, I think Chad Kelly has too many weapons around him, and I think they're going to win. Yeah, and it sounds, coach, it's it definitely sounds like Huck agrees with you on your Ole Miss pick. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, Josh, do you think that uh, Arkansas is you know, going to be able to use any of its strengths uh, in terms of offensive line play here against uh, Ole Miss? Well, you know, it, it's funny because Ole Miss, you know, they gave up a lot of yards, obviously, and points to, to Alabama, but that's sort of to be expected. And then their other loss to Florida State, they jumped out to such a big lead that FSU passed it a lot more from what I can remember than we would expect with Dalvin Cook on that team. So I'm not sure the normal, what we expect Arkansas ground-and-pound attack if they'll be able to succeed. But what's even more confusing is Arkansas has been passing a ton. You know, I've highlighted that Arkansas just doesn't seem to have their usual identity. And um, I think that to also highlight something that I noticed about Arkansas is they're, they haven't really beaten anyone. And 4-2 and two is a nice record but I looked at it, Louisiana Tech, TCU, Texas State, and Alcorn State and FCS school, their four wins are a combined 11 and 11. So this is a team that looks like they're getting by beating lesser opponents, and that'll be fine when they take on, say, Mississippi State and Missouri. But I'm not sure they're – as good as their record would indicate, just based on who they've played. And Ole Miss, you know, they, they took Alabama to the wire. They drubbed Georgia. They looked really crisp against the Memphis team that all of us love. And they really let one get away from them in the opener against Florida State. Ole Miss is one of the best two-loss teams in the country, without a doubt. I mean, they're, Ole Miss, with a couple breaks, could be – in the SEC title game, I know it would take a lot for Alabama to lose two games, but, I mean, crazier things have happened. This is a good rep team. 
Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, they're probably the best two loss team. And, you know, even with their two losses, if they're able to somehow win out and have Alabama falter, um, maybe at Tennessee, maybe in, you know, uh, in the Iron Bowl, who knows, um, you know, you could see them, you know, get will be Coach O's coming out, Pondy. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, that, that would be something. Um, uh, Coach Owen's gravel voice, but um, yeah, you know this is going to be uh, this is going to be a, a fun one, I think, and I'll definitely be tuning in on uh, you know on Saturday night for that one. But that will have to be uh, the runner up to my heart because the game this week, uh, game day locale, Madison, Wisconsin, Josh, our former our former college town, uh, hosting. Yeah. Uh, number two, Ohio State comes into town to take on who I believe is the best one-loss team in the country, um, the Wisconsin Badgers and their stout defense, who are still going to be missing Vince Beagle this weekend um, as he is out with a foot injury. Otherwise, though, they look pretty healthy on defense, uh, and they're going to need it because Ohio State's rushing attack is something else. Uh, Josh, you know what are, what are the keys for the Badgers to pull off the upset here? They're going to need to have their defense play like they did against Michigan and put them in a position to win. And as good as Ohio State has looked, and you know, five and zero, impressive that win at Oklahoma, very impressive. They haven't played a team with the defense that Wisconsin has. Bowling Green's defense is terrible. Tulsa, as we talked about earlier in the show, is ninety fourth. Oklahoma's is was in the 90s before the uh, Red River shootout, and I'm sure it still is because they gave up 40 points. Uh, Rutgers, <laughs> that goes without saying. So the best defensive team they played is Indiana. And as I talked about earlier in the show, due to special teams gaffe and an offensive turnover, um, Indiana gifted them two under 10-yard fields. And so this Ohio State team really only earned 24 points against Indiana, which, I mean, that's still three touchdowns and a field goal. That's still pretty impressive. But for people that follow Big Ten football, they know that by Indiana standards, that's a pretty bad day at the offense. They were held under 100 passing yards against Indiana. If Wisconsin can shut them down, and I mean totally shut them down, if they can hold Ohio State to 10 to 14 points like they did against Michigan, it'll put them in a chance to win because Ohio State's defense, while really, really good and is second right now in points allowed, um, you know, that's thanks to getting a shutout and holding Bowling Green, who's awful, to 10 points. In reality, Michigan's defense is a little bit better talent-wise with Jabril Peppers than Ohio State has. So, you know, Wisconsin's defense holds them again in that 10 to 14-point range. Maybe Wisconsin can score a little bit more effectively than they did against the Wolverines and pull off the upset. Uh, I would still pick Ohio State because it's Urban Meyer, and that's always the smart thing. But I was trying to think, Matt, I don't remember a night game loss for the Badgers. The, they don't get very many night games because uh, the student section likes to swear a ton and primetime TV doesn't love to do that. So they don't get many night games, but like the two or three that I remember were wins, and one of them was a big upset over a Michigan team 
on a last second touchdown. Don Stocko quarterback sneak, baby. Ain't nothing yeah. like it. Uh, so and last time Ohio State came into Madison, they were number one, and they got upset at night by the Badgers. You know the jump around yeah. is going to be going hard. You know, you know, with a whole day to, to pregame yeah. down on Regent Street or State Street or wherever you, wherever you want to pregame, um, it is going to be rowdy up in there. Uh, and, and Ohio State really hasn't. Uh, you know, they played at Oklahoma, um, but they got up quickly and early, and so they took the Oklahoma crowd out of it early. Wisconsin just doesn't give up points that quickly. So you know they're, you know they're going to be in it. Exactly. And the, the one, you know, they've lost, what, like three times under Urban Meyer. So I wouldn't say that it's a great trend, but at least what's happened in their losses is usually – they get frustrated. Something doesn't go quite right. It doesn't come as easy, and they get frustrated. I think the most obvious example of that was last year. Michigan State. State, That rain, they couldn't do what they normally do, and they appeared to just get frustrated. And uh, I think that was the game right after where Zeke Elliott was like, oh, they're going to get me the ball more. And, uh, you know, like Ohio State is used to being – a well-oiled machine, and sometimes teams that are so accustomed to that, when they get thrown out of their rhythm, it, it just boggles them for the rest of the game, and they can't get out of a funk. And maybe Wisconsin's defense can can create some of that. Who well, knows? Josh, you know what the forecast is for Saturday night in Camp Randall? God, I hope it's snow or rain. 67 and rainy. Yeah, too bad it's not 32 in uh, Blizzard. I know. Uh, Coach, um, what do you think uh, are going to be the keys to the game here for these teams? You know, defense. And, they're, you know, the, the Badger defense is going to just need to do what they do and do what they did to, to Michigan and just just kind of fly around the football and, and, and give Ohio State fits. You know, they – They've got to use the weather to their advantage uh, if the forecast holds true. Um, and I don't know if it's going to be a lot of rain, but they need to be able to, they need to, be able to take advantage of that um, and, and really just force a lot of turnovers and just kind of play the style of football that they've been accustomed to playing uh, this season. Um, offensively, they're going, to have to, they're going to have to figure out a way to establish a ground attack. Uh, right now they're eighth in the conference um, at 161 yards per game. Um, you know, and, and they've got Corey Clement. So, you know, there's there's not really any excuse um, as to why they can't establish a ground game. They've just got to go and do it. And, uh, you, you know, and, and you'd like to see some of these offensive linemen get healthy. And, and Matt, you guys know more than I do uh, the, the, the health of the offensive line. Um, if, they, if they're if they even close to full strength, I think they'll be better. Yeah, well, actually, Coach, let me just interject uh, on you there really quick because, you know, the depth charts listing um, – Retrick sophomore Brett Connor starting at center again this week. And his last start uh, was his first start of his career against Michigan, and he looked terrible against Michigan. They bumped normal center Michael Dieter over to left guard uh, to um, to fill in for both John Dietzen and Micah Kapoy, two of their just big road graders. Both those guys, about 6'5", 6'6", 330-plus. Um, and Kapoy is listed as questionable. Dietzen's out again with a foot injury. And I, I really 
really believe that in order for Wisconsin to hold up against Ohio State's talented defensive line, you know, Sam Hubbard, Tracy Sprinkle, Michael Hill, Taekwon Lewis, all those guys, they, they need to get Kapoi in the game at guard and have uh, put Dieter back at center because, you know, Center is really sort of is the brain of the offensive line. It's telling everyone where to go. And Michael Dieter is, the, is their best brain on the offensive line. And when you shift him from center to guard, he's not able to, you know, recognize all of the blitzes and stunts that are coming and get everyone in the position that they need to be in to pick them up. Connor has not shown at all that he can do that. So uh, it, it's going to be, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that Kapoi gets in the game early and, uh, you know, gets back because he showed last year as a redshirt freshman that he can hang with the big boys. Uh, he's a big guy they brought over from Hawaii, actually. Um, and, you know, so you don't usually get a lot of big Islanders on the Wisconsin team, but he has proven to be a very valuable asset on that offensive line. So uh, sorry to cut you off there, coach, but uh, I'll let you keep going. Oh, no worries. Um, yeah, they're, they're just going to have to establish a ground attack and, you know, and, and Hornbrook is going to have to just kind of manage the game and, and, and get plays where he can get them. You know, he's going to, you know, going against that defense, you know, especially in the in the passing game, you have Malik Hooker, um, who uh, who picked off who's picked off four passes this season, um, and and Ohio State's defense is, uh, I I think they're still just a notch below Michigan, but they're still an impressive defense, and they still can give you fits. They have Raquan McMillan at linebacker who who can uh, feast on a on a poor running game and an offensive line that struggles if they don't make if they don't make the right lineup shifts that they, that they need to, um, you have, uh, but, uh, you know, going in Wisconsin's favor is they have a, uh, Ohio state has a freshman running back, Mike Weber. Um, and, uh, you know, anytime you have a freshman, uh, in the lineup, there's going to be mistakes and it's going to not be as clean as it should be. So for Ohio state, they're just going to have to play a clean game. If they want to win this one, uh, I think talent wise, um, if they play clean and they play uh, extremely disciplined, I have no, I have no reason to think that they can't win this game. Um, but if Wisconsin can can force them into, you know, costly mistakes um, and win the field position battle and really take advantage of the weather, I, I I see no reason why Wisconsin shouldn't win this game. And and to be honest, this is going to be uh, an entertaining game to watch because. It's nighttime. It's in Madison. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna hear jump around. Uh, the fans are gonna be. You know, I, I've I've heard and you guys have I've heard stories from from you, Matt, about what type of atmosphere Camp Randall can be. So it's going to. You know, I, I really like this matchup. Um, I think Wisconsin is a lot lot better than people think. You know, if if you go ask around, it's basically. You know, this is Ohio State's national championship to lose, and you know that's the kind of way we picked it in the summer. Um, you know, they got they got a tough test, and uh, because Wisconsin is playing the way they are, it's an even tougher test this week. So, um, I like the Buckeyes in a close game uh, because of JT Barrett and the experience he brings um, is, is the reason why I'm going to go with them. Um, and then the issues on Wisconsin's offensive line is going to prevent their offense from doing everything that they need to do. Um, but I like Ohio state by three and, uh, it's going to be a tough one. Yeah. I, I think the big X factor in this game is, uh, for the Buckeyes at least is Curtis Samuel. Um, he does a lot, whether it's receiving, rushing, 
whatever. They get the ball in his hands a fair bit. And with Wisconsin being a little thin at linebacker right now, I'm worried about who's going to cover him in coverage, especially because he's coming out of that H-back position. On the flip side, though, Troy Fumagalli, uh, the big tight end for Wisconsin, he is, you know, he's a really big body in the middle of the field. He's definitely Hornerbrook's safety valve along with wide receiver Jazz PB. So I, I expect them to be, when they are throwing, looking for Fumagalli uh, first because he can sort of body up on those linebackers and you know, make plays across the middle. Well, that is uh, going to do it for our deep routes this week, and so we have to shift into our final segment, time for some spread formations, um, where we're picking games against the spread. Uh, last week was an especially rough week for me. I went 1-4 to move to 10-19-1 on the season. Uh, you, if you're listening to these picks, just pick against me, and you're making money. Coach, you're, a little, you're not doing too much better. You're 11-18-1 on the season. Josh, coming in at 14-15-1. We all got burned by TCU last week, uh, beating Kansas by one instead of the 35 they were favored by. So, uh, that was that was a rough one for all of us. But uh, time for us to get into it for this week. So we're going to start with an interesting non-conference matchup uh, where Mississippi State is heading to Salt Lake, or to Provo, I should say, to take on BYU. We're seven-and-a-half-point favorites at home. Josh, who do you like? Well, BYU had all of their games decided by three points or less until last week when they really took it to Michigan State. Uh, Mississippi State has the 94th ranked defense, and that is even with, you know, getting a boost against Massachusetts, although that wasn't much of a boost because they gave up 35 points. Uh, And Provo is one of the higher altitude stadiums. So that's like three checks on the side of BYU, so I'll take the Brigham Young Cougars to cover. Coach, well, uh, I'll take I'll take BYU as well. Um, Mississippi State is just beyond awful at this point, um, and I don't see it really getting any better, especially with a uh, tough cross country road trip in the high altitude. So give me the Cougs. Uh, I'm taking the Cougars as well. But quick tangent: Does Dan is Dan Mullen still in Starkville next year? Uh, yeah, I, I think so because, you know, Starkville's a really tough place to recruit to. And, I, you know, overall, if you take, if you take his overall uh, body of work, I think he's done a tremendous job with that program um, outside of a couple of years. I think he's been relatively successful for the type of atmosphere that Mississippi State is. They're not very, they're not very much further up the chain than – than Kentucky and Vanderbilt as far as quality of camp or quality of program and resources and all that stuff. Um, and I, I would say as far as like facilities and campus and town wise, I'd say they're probably bottom of the SEC um, as far as all that stuff goes. Cause I think Kentucky just built a, like a brand new, you know, multi bajillion dollar uh, training facility. Uh, Vanderbilt um, obviously is probably as far as facilities go, um, they're probably at the bottom, but what makes up for them is the degree that you can get from Vanderbilt and the city that it's located in makes it more of an appealing place, I think, than Starkville. Yeah, no love for Stark Vegas. Too bad. Uh, anyhow, uh, let's head over to the MAC, um, where the undefeated Western Michigan Broncos uh, are 11 point favorites on the road in Akron, playing the Zips. Josh, uh, you're our, you're our Maction man. Uh, break this report down for us. 
Well, Terry Bowden has done wonders with the zips. They were extremely, extremely senior heavy a year ago when they won their first bowl game in program history. So they've had a youth movement this year, and they're 4-2, and two, and I can't figure out how. They've got the 102nd-ranked scoring defense. They're 111th in rushing. Um, they have knocked off Marshall, which is going through a rough patch, but that was surprising. Um, but they knocked off in-league Kent State and Miami of Ohio. Those are two of the worst teams in the conference. Uh, Western Michigan already beat one of the best teams in the league at Central Michigan, and it wasn't even close. They beat them 49-10. to 10. The Broncos are rolling. They'll cover this spread, but the Zips are a very pleasant surprise. Yeah, and uh, so speaking of uh, Terry Bowden, I love the fact that he's coaching with his brother Jeff there too. Yeah, the Bowden boys are together. Um, I need to go against the grain. Uh, I think Akron's going to cover this spread um, just because I think that it, they, they have it in them. They're due. It's the MAC. You have no idea what's going to happen week to week. Very unpredictable as far as how teams play. So I'll, I, I'm going to go because I need to make up some ground and because – I'm just crazy enough to do it. I'm thinking Akron to cover. Um, well, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm not going with a contrarian pick. I'm, I'm staying on that Western Michigan bandwagon uh, because – I think Western Michigan wins. I just don't think they cover. I think they're going to win and cover. I think they are uh, – I think they know they have to have some impressive performances if they're going to, you know, if, if they're going to, you know, really move up there in the rankings. As they're up to 15th in my poll. I know they're 15th in your poll, but they're still like 23rd nationally. So, well, um, I'm smarter than the AP voters. Well, we, we've known that for a long time, though. So let's head then to uh, uh, back to the Big Ten, um, where uh, Minnesota and uh, Maryland are going to square off in College Park, um, where Maryland are six and a half point favorites at home. Uh, Josh, you fearing the turtle? I am fearing the turtle. I think Maryland. Got off to that 4-0 start. Uh, they were receiving votes. Uh, I think some publications might have even had them ranked, not the AP or the coaches, but some of the, uh, the lesser looked at logs and polls and things like that had Maryland in their top 25. So I think they got a little bit of a big head. Uh, went to Penn State. Penn State needs to rack up as many wins as possible to keep their coach and just had a bad game. And weren't really weren't really in it mentally. It brought them back to earth. On the flip side, Minnesota, I talked about it in the week recap. They're not running Leidner enough. They're not taking advantage of his athleticism. They're playing just a very boring vanilla offense. Their special teams have started to struggle. Santoso had a terrible day punting against Iowa had like a 20-yard duck that gave Iowa a short field. Things are just a mess right now for the Gophers. Maryland covers this, and actually, it wouldn't surprise me if Maryland won by two or three touchdowns. Coach? Um, what Josh said. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give the turtle. <laughs> give me the Terps. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, these are two programs heading in opposite directions. So, um, yeah, I, I have – Mitch Leidner has not shown me anything that I like if 
I am a Minnesota fan. I know people like love him. Draft Knicks love him. He just doesn't do it for me. He's a better athlete than he is quarterback. And, uh, you know, DJ Durkin is definitely going to have some, some defense cooked up for him uh, there. Uh, yeah, definitely fearing the turtle. Um, make it a clean sweep. Let's head out uh, to the West Coast where Utah, nine-point favorites on the road at – in Corvallis, which is uh, very surprising that uh, Oregon State actually beat Cal last week in a one of the bigger upsets that we didn't talk about. So big win for Gary Anderson. I believe it's his first as a uh, as a Pac-12 coach. So after going winless in conference last year. So uh, Josh, do you think that uh, Utah is going to be able to cover on the road? I'm going to start with the Oregon State Beavers. They scrapped and clawed and played a really good game at Minnesota to open the year. It's never easy for Pac-12 teams to make that long trip to the central time zone. Uh, Then they were relatively competitive against Boise State. They only lost that game by 14. And the Broncos, I think, are a better team than Utah. I know they got waxed at at Colorado, but... I just like the buffs, so that's at least defendable in some part. And then they just knocked off Cal, a, a really good offensive team. Well, guess what? Utah's not a very good offensive team. They're scoring 28 points per game at 72nd in the country. Um, they barely beat BYU. They had a ho-hum win against a really bad San Jose State team. Uh, they should have lost to USC. They did lose to Cal. And, yeah, they looked a little better against Arizona, but Arizona is awful this year. Utah wins, but I think the Beavers are going to make it competitive. And I'm going to say Utah escapes Corvallis with just a seven-point win. All right. Coach? Well, I mean, you you, you look at the consensus pick, and, and it's uh, – you know, it, it, it's Utah um, by a slim margin. Uh, you know, the Beavers showing that they they're improving each and every week. They're impro- They're they're showing that you know they have their schemes are starting to to kind of click. And you saw a team that was just trying to get on the same page, uh, and they did so in close games. Um, and part of that process. Uh, all led up to their first conference win against Cal. Uh, they're probably out of these two teams. They're probably the more the more gutsy uh, team. They're probably the more resilient team. Uh, they're the team that's going to fight you. And I think Gary Anderson has done a good job of not panicking and and trying to trying to get the win. I think they just you know their philosophy is just kind of do what we do and improve each and every week, and and it'll all take care of itself. Um, and and uh, and if they wear those all orange uniforms um, at home, uh, it's a day game. Um, but uh, with the issues that Utah has on the offensive line, um, with the with the issues they have offensively in general, uh, being in an offensive conference and being 72nd in the country in offense doesn't bode well for you. Um, so, I it's a tough one for me to pick. Um, I think Utah is probably still going to win. Um, I think they win a gutsy, you know, I, I think they win a performance where uh, Oregon State fights their way back into it, but it's going to be too little too late. I, I like the Beavers to cover. I do like Utah to win, but the Beavers to cover. So I'm going to say Utah by seven. Okay. Um, well, I'm, I'm taking the Utes, and here's why. Mm. Oregon State's defense is ranked 
uh, 92nd nationally in yards per game, 101st nationally in points per game, and 112th nationally in rushing yards allowed per game. We know that Utah can run the ball, um, and so I am t- I'm taking the Utes uh, just because I don't think the Oregon State's uh, defense will be able to slow down the Utah rushing attack. And is a bold-faced lie, Professor. You know you're taking Utah because he can't stand Gary Anderson. Uh, I'm allowed to justify anything I say. So um, <laughs> thus is the be- beauty of academia. Well, it's that time of the week for our last pick. You know who we're featuring, Rock Chalk Jayhawk, baby, on the road this week after barely losing to TCU last week at home, 24-23. They head down to Waco to take on the Baylor Bears, who are 35-point favorites at home. Josh, we got burned last week. Yeah, and I'm not going to make that same mistake twice because here's the rub on Baylor. They beat SMU 40-13. to Last time I checked, that's inside 35 points. And I would say Kansas, based on the last two weeks, looks better than SMU. Baylor beat, Baylor beat Rice 38-10. to That ain't 35 points. Kansas has looked better than Rice. Baylor beat Oklahoma State 35-24. Okay, I'm not going to go that far with Kansas. But then after, before the bye week, Baylor barely beat Iowa State 45-42, and we're trailing that entire game. Iowa State and Kansas are very similar. The Cyclones might be a pinch better, but – that's it's not very impressive. Baylor isn't blowing people out. I think Kansas uh, maybe hangs around like they did against TCU. Um, maybe hangs around like they did against uh, Texas Tech. I think Baylor will pull away late, but it won't be enough time for them to cover 35 points. I think Baylor wins it by about 21, maybe 24. But uh, Jayhawks play another three really solid quarters of football before the depth starts to take over Jayhawks cover coach. Wow. Uh, where have we, co- where have we gotten to with this podcast? Um, I, I think Kansas, <laughs> I think Kansas is listening to our podcast because, um, you know, after we, after we so convincingly picked them to get destroyed, uh, by Memphis and it actually came true. I think they clicked on our podcast and heard us dogging them. And so they said, you know what? We can't let the illegal motion boys dog us anymore. <laughs> so we're going to have to start playing better. Um, and, and they have. Uh, the last two weeks has been a completely different Kansas team. And I'm not sure exactly. I can't pinpoint it because, you know, I don't follow Kansas football like I do, uh, like I do the SEC. So I don't really look at them closely and try to figure out exactly what they're doing differently. I just think they're growing up, maturing, and all that stuff. And, you know, maybe Beatty is starting to kind of turn the corner a little bit, and, and maybe he had some growing pains as a coach, and maybe uh, his staff had some growing pains. Maybe they had some guys uh, on the team that have been going through those same things, and, and maybe they're starting to kind of come around and starting to gel a little bit. They're starting to play a little bit inspired football. Um, I don't think it's going to help them in the win column, but it will help them cover the spread, and it will, um, it will probably – uh, start to kind of steer us away from picking on them a little bit and trying to find a new team to pick on. So um, I like Baylor by four touchdowns, um, which is only 28 points. So I like Baylor by four touchdowns, uh, but give me Kansas in the points. Uh, two questions. When was the last time a Jim Grobe coach team won by 35 points? Uh, never. I 
that's what I'm going to go with. I, I, I cannot confirm that, but I never remember any of his teams at Wake Forest winning by 35 or any of his teams at Ohio. Secondly, you know, maybe, uh, maybe one of those Riley Skinner teams with Wake. Maybe they'd be an FCS team by 35. I don't know. Okay, well, then was the last time to be an F- FBS team by 35? If, even if oh, you know. um, anyhow. I'm going to do some research and have an answer for you on their next show. Okay, yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, secondly, um, uh, would would Kansas do better if Bill Self was their coach? Uh, no. Okay. Um, and so uh, with that, uh, I think that no matter who's coaching Kansas, Jim Grove's not being anyone by 35. Uh, so, yeah, I got, you know, fool me once, shame on me, or shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. I'm not getting, I'm not getting fooled again by Kansas. Um, I'm taking the Jayhawks to win. Oh, sorry, the Jayhawks. Whoa, Jayhawks to win, no. Jayhawks to lose by less than 35. You know what? You know what? I'm going to double down. I'm going to make an insanely bold statement. Do it. The Texas Longhorns play TCU November 25th, the week before, six days before, on the 19th, they travel to Kansas. I think think Texas is going to be looking past that game. Texas is going to have a couple wins. They're going to be feeling good about themselves. They're going to be in position for okay bowl game. Some of the storm has even quieted about Charlie Strong. And Kansas is going to stun them. Um, um, that would be the last nail in the coffin for Charlie Strong. Yep, because what I'm looking at is Texas is going to beat Iowa State. Let's say they beat Kansas State. Let's say they get Texas Tech. That'll be three wins. They'll be five. Maybe they'll lose the Baylor game. So they'll be, f- they'll be uh, five and four. I think they can beat West Virginia. I'm still not entirely sold on them. So let's say Texas is six and four, feeling good about themselves. They're like, hey, we got terrible Kansas. We got TCU. We can get eight wins. We can get to a decent bowl game. We can quiet all the doubters, and it'll all fall apart in Lawrence. Oh, man, that is uh, quite the prediction. So on fans, that- are gonna, fans are going to rush the field by jumping onto the track and then running across the track because they're one of the last few college teams to act by the track. Well, it's actually much safer for the fans to jump onto the track. It's a much uh, cushier surface than it would be jumping <laughs> onto concrete. So um, good, good for them. Uh, OSHA will appreciate it. So on that bold prediction, um, uh, that is going to be all for us today here on Illegal Motion. So on behalf of the coach, Corey Burton, and our mascot, Huck, and our intrepid blogger, Josh Cook, in Chicago, Illinois, this is the professor, Matt Perkins, saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Oh, yeah! Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.